Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Promised Land, a show about Manchester United and part of the 90 Min Podcast Network. I'm Scott Saunders, joined by Rob Blanchett. As ever, packed show today, Rob. I think we've got... United have been bubbling under the surface. They're not playing two games a week anymore, but Mm. just uh, some nice talking points to dig into today. Old Trafford's back on the agenda. Isn't it just... Quite interesting. Obviously, we, we talked about Old Trafford, didn't we, a few weeks ago and did quite a bit on it. And uh, Just after that's... Christmas, I believe that was. Yeah, Just that's all now coming to fruition Christmas. a little bit more, stuff that we learned at that time. Um, so it's been heavily in the news this last week. So we'll go back over some of that and tell you where we, where we are on it and uh, the bits and pieces that we know. Very emotive issue, isn't it, for a lot of people? Very much so. Uh, lots of viewpoints which are potentially not, like you have it and fair enough if you have tunnel vision on it if you if you feel like this is the way to do it everybody understands that um and if you feel particularly strongly about it please leave us a comment on x at double underscore scott saunders at underscore rob underscore b and at tpl mufc as well on x or in the youtube chat or comment section underneath this video the promise land a Manchester United podcast is where you can find us if you have not subscribed already. But if you haven't, please do like the video as well. And as I say, leave a comment, hit the notification bell, and you can find us on audio on Apple and Spotify, etc. as well. Give us a little sub on there as well. But we will talk about Old Trafford today. Obviously, new developments or new suggestions. It feels like it's, it's moving in a certain direction. But please comment on if you think United should by any means necessary, stay at Old Trafford. Are you open to moving? Are you open to leaving? Are you open to just moving a couple of hundred yards down the road, potentially? We'll also talk about the midfield. Frankie. I think mm. he's going to be in the title. Frankie de Jong might be, might be back. The Frankie de Jong situation might be back on the agenda. There's some uh, Barcelona a club in crisis, so we'll talk about that. We'll talk about I, I counted like four midfielders, five potentially five mm. midfielders that could leave United in the summer. So United might need as much as they might need a left centre back because Lisandro Martinez is injured. They might also need some numbers in midfield, a number six, a number eight, a six eight. Do they need a Casemiro replacement, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera. United also play Villa at Villa Park on Sunday in one of the biggest games of the weekend. But Villa, their home form has been ended. Well, their their run of home wins has been ended by Newcastle, and they've also been beaten by Chelsea in the FA Cup in the week at Villa Park. Could United potentially benefit from the calculated risks Villa take with their tactics? It might... uh, We obviously saw one of United's best performances of the season in the second half against Villa Mm. just after Christmas as well. But, Rob, we'll start... Where shall we start? Shall we start with Frankie, or shall we start with... Old Trafford. I'm, I'm think I've got Frankie first in my agenda. Let's go with Frank, with Frankie, shall we? Let's let's go down that route. <laughs> right now, some suggestions. It's it's speculatory, but some suggestions that Frankie Diong is open to leaving Barcelona. They're flooding social media. Now, there might be, and there always has been, some validity to these uh, rumors. Now, De Jong is obviously. United had a bid accepted for De Jong in Eric Ten Hag's first summer. And then we spent an entire summer talking about will Frankie De Jong join United and then he never did. Wasn't that fun? Because he, yeah, oh my God. 
think back to that. But has he changed his mind? Xavi is leaving. Oh, how do you say? How do you say? How do you pronounce his name, Rob? The Barcelona coach. You got it right there. Did I? Because I was Xavi. getting real. I was getting the mick taken out of me yesterday for pronouncing it wrong on another. On another what, 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 what did they? Xavi. No, no, no. Xavi. It's in Catalan. It's not. It's the X is a cha, isn't it? Yeah. So it's Chavi. not. It's not a za. You know, Xavi Hernandez. I think if you called him Xavi, I don't think he'd be particularly um, offended. I met Xavi uh, for previous work that I've done, and it is Xavi. <laughs> it's, kind of like, it's kind of the way you said it is correct, but it's always a little bit with dialect. It's difficult, isn't it? Like we're not Catalans, so we're always going to say it a little bit differently. Yeah. So he's leaving anyway, whatever, however you pronounce his name. He's leaving as Barcelona head coach at the end of the season. Rafa Marquez is linked. There's other there's other names linked with this role, with this post. But Barcelona's financial position, everyone's heard about the levers. We've talked to death about the levers. Those levers aren't going to have as much ability to make a difference anymore. And I think by next season, Barcelona need to trim their wage bill again by up to 200 million euros, the way that it's working out. Yes. And they already are not going to be able to register Vitor Roque, who they've just signed in January. I know he's playing now, but they'll have to re-register him. Their salary cap and their salary outlay is going to have to be minimized. And obviously, Frankie de Jong, part of the reason why Barcelona tried to shop him off to United in Eric Ten Hag's first summer is because they needed to get rid of his wages. That problem has not gone away. Now, United's interest had gone away, and the emergence of a certain Kobe Menu has, in at least in my opinion, for a while, he seemed to be that Frankie de Jong type of player that they've generated through the academy and just took another 18 months for it to happen after they tried to sign him. But if Eric Ten Hag stays, I know that there's suggestions that, well, this will happen. A new sporting director will come in. Ten Hag's power essentially will be taken away from him in terms of the targets he wants United to sign. But Frankie de Jong's very good. So could we end up in a scenario where Frankie de Jong and Kobe Menu play in tandem? Rob, could that work? For me? Absolutely. I think that can work. Why do I think that? Well, we've seen, haven't we, what Ten Hag does systematically. We've talked a lot about the four-one-four-one. Talked a lot about the four-one-five last season, which I've noticed in the last two or three games has kind of crept back. Now you've got Casemiro available, so you can't. You're always thinking, Scott, about future proofing. What can you do in the future? What's next? We know that Cobby's already treading these boards towards superstar, isn't he? He's hugely popular. His kind of his own stock has elevated from being boy on the fringe only X amount of weeks ago, not that long ago, to now being the future captain of Manchester United. <laughs> you know, already we're already the there. Stone made... Roses collection figurehead. Look at that, and you know the release of the Stone Roses collection of Manchester United. And who did they go with to promote it? The three faces: Kobe, Garnacho, Rashford. So it kind of tells you what what United think in terms of their strategy long term about what they're trying to sell to people, isn't it? So. I think when you look at Kobe, and this is what I said in obviously our discussion, Scott, is that Frankie de Jong has very similar characteristics to what Kobe can and does do for Manchester United. But one of Man United's problems is they've only got one Kobe. That is a problem. And everyone else in the midfield, I'm going to say it out loud, isn't good enough. That's the truth. <laughs> they, they, they can do some things good. They're not and, possession players. Let's just say they're not, no. they're not ball retention players. Not ball... I don't think there's another ball retention player in there. No, and, and and any ball retention that they're asked to do is usually basic stuff, and they can't really do that. And that is the problem. You're not asking them to to play like Man City. You're not asking them to to, to do stuff that that isn't part of the DNA of the team. But the truth is, is that you've got Kobe Manu. You need to build with Kobe and others. So how you do that is is up for debate because you can see how Chelsea did it by spending an incredibly extortionate amount of money on two younger defensive midfielders. And that hasn't worked. Probably one of those will go now at the end of the season because they need to get some money back. This is where seven-year contracts become a problem, Scott, because now you're moving someone that you gave a seven-year contract to 10 minutes ago and you can't really do it. It's very, very difficult. 
Uh, and I think with Man United, and you look at uh, what's going on with De Jong, the situation with De Jong at Barcelona hasn't particularly changed in the sense that he's always known that he was shopped last year, but he kept his gob shut and he told them that he didn't want to leave. He's on a huge wage at Barcelona. And the truth is, this year, Scott, so he's probably been their best player. He has been their best player, I think, for a period of time um, now, which has kind of proved his worth to Barcelona. Now, I know Barcelona have actually said that they've got no intention on selling anyone. But I think now it's the end of the, the Xavi year already that that's gone. This is the end. And, and I think some of his parting comments have been very stinging towards Barcelona. There will be change off the back of that. So that will include players. So there'll be a new manager at some point. You know, there'll be a new setup. Barcelona like to carry on rolling with how they do stuff. But there's no doubt they're in financial trouble. They remain there and they need to lose some of their wages. A little bit like Man United, Scott. You know, like you need to restructure that wage bill so you can get the players that you want in the next summer window. Yeah, Barcelona has seemed to be a bit of a club in denial at the moment. Yeah, they're, they're trying every single option that, you know, they're, they're trying to keep, they're, they're trying to be in a position where they're trying to keep that status as one of the world's biggest clubs. And obviously they they, are, they always will be, but of course. their financial situation is so uncompromising mm. because there's an argument to say that they've been... Well, they've retained success over the years, but they've been running to the ground possibly worse than United have. You know, <laughs> how is that even possible? It's very how similar, is isn't it? It really is. Um, but you know, you look at the way that United might go, and I understand there's going to be we got a new CEO. John Murter has been in the frame. Richard Arnold's been in the frame. Omar Barada's taken Arnold's job. Arnold's already gone a new sporting director will come in and sit in the seat that Murta had, whether he stays around in another role or just leaves altogether remains to be seen. But we're moving from a, a, a transfer team, I suppose, that didn't really have much of a clue what they were doing in the nicest way. Pot- no, they didn't have much of a clue of what they were doing too. Nice what, what you would think is that, <laughs> Jim Ratcliffe and Dave Brailsford will be installing people who are like, best in class has been used to the point of boredom, but like yeah. very good at their jobs, right? And I'm looking at the midfield that United have at the moment, right? And I'm gonna I'm gonna run through these players. How many of these players do you think are unsellable? And how many of these players do you think could leave in the summer? Sofiane Amrabat is on loan. I would be shocked absolutely flabbergasted and despairing if they signed him on a permanent deal. He's already le- gone. He's already gone. Yeah. Mason Mount, probably not next year, but he's been injured all season. Mm. Who, who who takes him, who buys him? Bruno Fernandes, current captain, obviously situation with his contract needs to be discussed. Does it? He's contracted until 2026 with an option for a further year. Mm. There's been interest made publicly known from other clubs from Saudi Arabian clubs who, you know, that would be a, a huge scalp, wouldn't it? Christian Eriksen, potentially he'd been talked about leaving in February, even mm. to Turkey. I don't think that'll happen now, but in the summer could potentially go. Casemiro, we talked about him potentially leaving in the summer. Saudi Arabia is another option. Donny van der Beek, not on the books currently, is on loan. Obviously United are paying some of his wages, but the first chance he gets, he's leaving on a permanent deal. Cobby, untouchable. Scott McTominay tried to shop him out last summer. So that, that how many players is that that I count there? I'm not including Dan Gore and Hannibal, but they're out on loan. Dan Gore might come back into the mix. Hannibal, mm. potentially, unless they end up selling him. Amrabat, Eriksson, Casemiro and McTominay. And include Van der Beek in that. That's five midfielders, five central midfielders that could end up leaving. And I, I would say, Rob, about the Cobby Frankie axis, I think it could work, but I don't think it works without a six. Mm. So with all those, let's say all those five players leave, I don't know if they will, but there's a there's a good chance they all could. You'd need at least two. You'd need a six and an eight if you were to do that. Yeah, I think the squad building, it's always about departments and the midfield being a department on its own. And, you know, I always said as well, like in previous shows that we've done about 
when you do clear outs that you don't do clear outs. They're not real things that, that you don't clear a whole squad out to go and buy new, another new squad. You don't do what Chelsea have done because it doesn't work. We're seeing that in real time. So I think when you look at the midfield and you look like the names you've just rolled off there, literally the only one you keep is Kobe. Literally, like I think even Bruno is on the line here. Like Bruno is not on the line like the others, but we do know that there is significant interest in him from clubs abroad. And we've talked a little bit about that in the past, and I'm sure that will crop up again. He's not at risk compared to some of the other names you've mentioned there. But when you roll off the tongue, the McTominays, the Ericsons, uh, I don't even want to talk about Amrabat. He doesn't really play for Man United anymore. I think when you look at you know, like Donny van der Hoo, like, you know, he's never kicked a ball for United in any kind of positive way. Those players will be trimmed. They'll be gone out the squad. And then it's about how do you kind of reformulate. I just said there and mentioned, like, I think this show, this article is really about, you know, Kobe and De Jong and can it work as two eights. We completely know that this manager, if he remains in charge, quite likes Kobe Manu as a six. Now, I prefer him as an eight. I think you do too. I think we've seen little breadcrumbs of how good he is in around the opponent's opposition box. You know, he had his moment the other day with the with the last-minute winner, which was stunning. And I'd like to see him develop like that. You're saying there about them being in tandem there, Scott, which is what I would prefer. But it would not, would not surprise me if Kobe is the six and that you have Ericsson's an eight with another eight somewhere down the line. That's how you you formulate it. That's how... You said Ericsson. I'm sure you meant De Jong there. Sorry, did I say Ericsson? You said Ericsson, yeah. Oh, did I? So I meant De Jong. Sorry, I apologise about that. Yes, yeah, so it's, it's obviously Frankie. So I think you said Frankie is your eight, someone who is like a ghost eight who floats around and does all of that work and keeps it calm and runs the midfield. Equally, they could they could switch roles because they could both... Absolutely. But but this is what I'm saying about the, the modern number six, is the modern number six doesn't have to just be a regressive force, doesn't have to just be destructive. The number six should actually go and join the attack. That's how the modern players do it. You don't have to sit all the time in just one zone to look after the centre-back. You don't have to be Michael Carrick screening. Yeah, you don't have to do that job anymore. That's 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 old money. You have to get up and down the pitch as well. So Cobby can definitely do that. It gives you options, doesn't it? So then when you go into the transfer market, Scott, you could go and look for, say, the perfect six or the perfect eight to work along a De Jong and Manu midfield. That's, I think, how you're going to have to do it. That's the way it has to be. You just said they're about youngsters there, Hannibal, Dan Gore. You can fill the squad out with, with younger players. There's still a lot coming in behind that we've never even spoken about. But when you go out into the transfer market, if you're going to go for a big piece like a De Jong, which will still cost you money, big wages you got to know what your midfield is supposed to do next year. And that's the plan. And I think that this manager likes that. I think he'd like those two players as kind of the central pieces to his to his central midfield of how he'd want to play. And it would be that 4-1-5, that 4-1-4-1. That's not going to change, I don't think. Because many times, Scott, it's a 4-3-3. That's what those systems let you allow, to, allow you to do in, in open play. And that's what Dion will be able to give you, all of that know-how in their system. We'll see. I mean... Yeah, it's a, it's a difficult one. Do I suppose the question is, will Ten Hag get his way? Or will whoever comes in believe in what he wants if Eric Ten Hag's position in itself is in question? Mm. He's only got 18 months left on his existing deal. I think there's an is there an option to extend by I think there's an option to extend by the year in a, in a, in the manager's like, contract as well. Yeah, yeah. But would United even look at would they even consider De Jong in, in this case, if you get a new team in who are making the decisions, trying to make smarter decisions rather than picking up someone who's going to cost a hell of a lot of money from Barcelona and going to cost a hell of a lot of money in wages? Or do you just look for the next Frankie, a cheaper option that you, you can do both? Build? You do both. So you, you get Frankie and you look to the next Frankie. So that, that, that that's the kind of, that's the smart way of doing it. And I think this all marries into what we're going to talk about in the second half of the show about Old Trafford and about revenues and profit and how does that work because it's all about recycling cash how does you how do you how do you do it Scott without breaking the bank all the time like Chelsea spent a billion and are out of the top 10 so it kind of tells you that, that that hasn't worked even though I still think in the future it'll be fine I think when you look at Man United United has spent the same amount of money as Manchester City or there and thereabouts and it hasn't worked yet. City have won a treble, so the margins are very thin in terms of like spend. It's more about strategy. So, I think when you talk about De Jong, 
there's every chance that a direct football comes in and actually goes, well, no, actually, De Jong isn't the kind of midfielder we want to target as it stands because we want to be more like Man City. We actually want to go down that route. And do you know what we're going to look for? We're going to look for, go and look for a Bernardo Silva. We're going to go and look for a Gundogan. We're going to look for players that can maybe make you tick a little bit more. Now, De Jong is a ticker, definitely, but he'd be a ticker on 500 grand a week. So it's a lot of money to be able to spend. I'm not saying United won't do that. I think this is all about how much can United make in terms of cash reserves in the future with Old Trafford, with sponsorship and all of that. That's really important. And if you can slash your wage bill now in the immediate future, in the next six months, you've got the opportunity to go and get a De Jong. Because, as I said, Chelsea have spent loads of money on two defensive midfielders and giving them big wages and long contracts, and it hasn't worked. So that's just as risky. Going really, didn't young. even include Lavia in that. He's been well, Lavia is like you know, like Donny Van der Hoo, Like I just said, there, like it's someone who's not actually had any impact yet. So you can't even really make a call on him. But United might look and actually go, oh no, it's the Lavia route we want to go down. That's where we want to go get players for about forty or fifty million and develop them in house and do it slower. I just think Man United fans would be divided on that, Scott. There'd be a lot of United fans that would love that and would take the pain. And, you know, if they need to go to the dentist, you know, you go have to fill in and you have that done and, you know, you take that little bit of pain just to, to make tomorrow better. Or there'd be Man United fans who would be like, no, it has to be De Jong or nothing. Just that balancing point. And it's just, that's that's the football club that, that we follow. So... It, it's it's all going to be down, I think, more to what a director of football thinks when when he comes in, rather than Eric Ten Hag. But I do think that Ten Hag would love to play something a little bit more expansive. Like I prefer players that could do stuff, because I think he is held back a little bit by the playing squad that he has. We've said that and we've given him that, um, and that's why he's maybe done some of the tactical things that I've criticised him for in the last six months. Do you want to see, and I, I don't think United with their new team will be going into a 10, 12 week chase of Frankie de Jong again. I, I, no. I, I would hope not. Uh, do you think, do you want to see Frankie de Jong chased again by United? Let us know in the comments. I don't, I don't think they should chase anyone. I think you look at the market, you do the deals you can do. And I don't think that this is about whether you convinced Frankie de Jong or not, because I think this that's where the story ended up playing out as, oh, Frankie didn't want to go. It wasn't 100% true. So I think if Frankie de Jong got offered a ton of money by Man United and was, had the chance to play in the Premier League for a manager that he knows, and it was a new project, then I think that's sellable. I think that's something he would be interested in. And if Barcelona are still the dysfunctional club that they are, then there's a chance that they might be forced to sell. So I think that's where we are with the balancing point. I think United need to get out of that that whole remit, Scott, of just chasing, chasing everyone and everything mm -hmm. until you get to the point where you've got no one and then you're stuffed. I don't believe a new director of football will be doing that. So Frankie Jong is available and is shopped and Barcelona ring up United and say, here's the price. United can afford it. I think it's all systems go. It would not be surprised me if that was the kind of deal that just, again, just popped up in the summer, just out of nowhere, where one or two, three weeks down the line, Man United have announced that they've got Frankie de Jong. Um, but it, I think you're going to have to look at that calibre of player, Scott, with a central midfield, and you're going to need one at centre-back. So that's the starting points. I think Rasmus has done well, as the old need Rasmus a striker has. as well. There you go. We Might need, need a, a goalkeeper. You, exactly. That's like, an entire spine. <laughs> it's all about squad building and sympathetic squad building. That's again where the whole old Trafford angle comes in with revenues because you can't do it all in one go, but you can look at the midfielders of the department and say, well, hang on, we've just got players who are at the end of their life cycle at Man United for whatever reason, generally because they're not good enough, and then move them on. And then you can kind of start to cherry pick in the market and go get one, two, three players to back up with young players. And then obviously with Cobby. So like Cobby is, I think, you're, you're the guy you're building around. And if you could get a Cobby and a, and a De Jong axis, you are a serious midfield again, just straight out the bat, you know? And I don't think Man United have had that for, for quite a long time. Let us know. Frankie De Jong, do you want to go through that again? Do you want him at United still? But don't get well, too emotional about people. Like, don't go through anything. Like, let it happen or don't let it happen. I think that's that's kind of the whole don't get too high, don't get too low methodology here is that is that people want to see Frankie in a Man United shirt and maybe some of us don't. But I think it's about what's tactically right for Man United. I think he fits what United would like to do in years to come. I was just trying to work out the uh, abbreviation of that. 
Don't get too high. Don't get too low. DGTHDGTL. There you go. That's our new. We podcast could just name. rename TPL that. Should we do that? It's too many letters. <laughs> too many letters. Hashtag DGTHDGTL at underscore Rob underscore P. No, right, I'll just wear a oh. t-shirt with it on or something like that. That maybe or a hat, you know, either don't get too high, don't get too low. But but that, that you're gonna have to have some control over those emotional things now, I think, for the United fan base, because there will be stuff that will get to them, which we will talk about in a minute, but just don't get too high about it, but also don't get too low. Old Trafford, new Trafford. No, I which said that I don't want to say that you, you said that yesterday, and I, I sorry. was a little bit moved by apologies. It, it was yeah, sorry. Uh, don't, don't call it New Trafford. Yeah. Old Trafford, what do you do? New, new, new developments on whether United will potentially move away from Old Trafford this week. A uh, variety of uh, pieces released in the press, mm. maps of the land that United own around mm. the stadium, options of extending. Is it the Sir Bobby Charlton stand? Pushing it back? Yes. Making it bigger? Yes and maximizing the capacity mm-hmm. and doing what Liverpool have done, doing what Barcelona are doing, doing what Real Madrid have done, mm. staying on that same hallowed turf. So many memories, so many iconic moments, keeping Old Trafford as it is. The thing is, though, if you're going to do that, it's a bit of a pain. So there's a strong argument to suggest that if you have all that land, and you want to make a statement, build a new one next to it. Right. Yeah. Before you talk, Rob, I think you've uh, you've already circulated your opinion on this. I don't think it's changed. <laughs> My stance on this now, Old Trafford, if you want to... Old Trafford. A big criticism of Manchester United over the past 20 years, 10 years, has been you're standing still. Where is the ambition? I think you have a new ownership structure coming in. You have Sir Jim Ratcliffe who wants to leave a legacy. You have Dave Brailsford who wants to get things right on the pitch. You have Old Trafford. What do you do with it? You need to better it. You need to improve it. You need to stop the roof leaking. But you want to move forward. I don't think there's any better way, as much as the emotion will come into this, there's no better way of stating how serious you are about taking Man United to the top than by building a brand new stadium that is the best damn stadium in the world. That's where I sit on it. I understand the emotion. I understand everything else. But for United to truly, properly move into a new new era, this is the way for me. And I think that's you're the nuts same. and bolts of it. Yeah, that's the nuts and bolts of it, Scott. I, I, I'm with you. I'll kind of expand what, on what I've thought about it. It's that most football teams, especially the big football teams, um, well, in fact, it's all, especially in England, is that your football ground is generally plonked in the middle of a residential area. Most times, yeah? And, and Old Trafford is no different. The difference with Old Trafford as a landmass and what Man United own compared to, say, Real Madrid in the capital in Spain or Barcelona in Catalonia is that you've you've got these grounds, again, with with buildings around them, and all you can really do is either knock the ground down or sell it and turn it into flats like Arsenal did with Highbury. Yeah, you can do that and make a load of money residentially and move the the team geographically not so far away. Work with local council to make um, all of the surrounding areas more fit for purpose in terms of travel. And that is one option. The things with Man United, Scott, is that a few years ago, they basically went around the Old Trafford area, around the ground, spent 9 million quid to basically buy all the land around Old Trafford. Yeah, it's one of probably the shrewdest deals they've ever done is that they bought all this ground for like 9 million quid. Nothing. It's going to be worth so much more than that in years to come. Your option to move the stadium all of 50 yards, 100 yards next door and have potentially the best stadium in the world is something that is not just attractive to the business sector, but I think when you look at Man United long-term, we are so caught up in the emotions of what we've seen at Old Trafford. Now, I, I will say this on the show. I'm old. I've seen a lot at Old Trafford. I'm very lucky. I've been there since 1987 as a child. 
it's cool. I've seen 13 Premier League titles lifted there. I've seen Champions League brought back there. We've we celebrated it all. We've done it all. I've seen Paul Scholes hit the top corner against Barcelona. I was there for all of it, yeah? But if you want to be progressive, it's not your memories that keep you going. It's the future. It's like, where do we go next? And I think if, if like you started the segment there, Scott, with Man United moving away from Old Trafford, no one is talking about Man United moving away from Old Trafford. And this is what's being sold in the press, is that Man United are moving next door to the same postcode, literally where I park my car. Like, there's no, there's no further away. It would be the same walk for me. It's the same turf. It's the same concrete that we stomp on on every single match. So people are going to be emotive about it. And I also do think, Scott, it's older fans, fans that have been at Old Trafford their whole life. And the whole idea of being in something new is kind of like a bit, uh, like don't want to even think about it. I'm thinking about my kids and their kids and the future and Man United winning stuff in the future. I'm not thinking about the past. I'm not thinking about the babes. That football pitch is not the same pitch that the babes played on. It's been relayed a thousand times. It's not the same strep for then. It's been rebuilt multiple times. I sit in a part of the stadium that actually didn't exist 25 years ago. <laughs> you know, this is the truth about it. So if redevelopment was there and you could do it in a sympathetic manner, I totally get it. The current cost at the moment is it would cost £800 million and it would probably take seven to eight years to complete works. Now, the amount of cost to United's bottom line on that is huge. And you would also have to tell season ticket holders that they can't go for a number of years. Now, that's going to be deeply unpopular if that was put on the table by Man United. So United are thinking about these things. And you could do what Tottenham did, is you could move the stadium literally a few yards and you could have everything. You could have everything you want. You could sponsor it. Like Tottenham haven't renamed it, have they? But what Tottenham have done is they've sold the stadium to the, to the markets, to the NFL. They've signed contracts. They've made money out of it. And really, Scott, that's what Man United have to do. If you want to go get your Frankie de Jong's, you can't just frivolously spend money every year and just think that it doesn't come back to you. United need to find a way to have a stadium that is the right grandeur for Manchester United. You know, United could sell out a 100-seat, 1,000 stadium every week if they wanted to. And, and I think that's the dream for them, is that, yeah, you could do it up, but... You know, do, do we all live, Scott, in the same house that we were born in our whole lives? Like, we don't, do we? We we move to another house. We want to better ourselves. I think Man United are at that crossroads, is that our stadium isn't really fit for purpose anymore. And there's a lot of United fans who have been tweeting me going, oh, it's rubbish. You know, it's, you know, it's the best place on earth. Well, emotionally for us it is. Let's be honest. The stadium is rubbish. It's utter rubbish. It's, it's dilapidated to an extent now where... You, you can't do anything in the stadium and literally go and sit there and watch a game of football. There's nothing there. And Man United, certainly with all of that £9 million worth of land around them, Scott, want to develop Old Trafford into something different. And I'm all for progress. That's the way I always look at it, is that I, I'm always looking forward rather than back. <clears throat> now, people will cite Arsenal's move to the Emirates. It took probably 15 years for Arsenal's Emirates to become a home after leaving Highbury. It's only in recent years, really, that that's caught, caught on. Yeah. Now, there's been other clubs that have moved stadium. West Ham, obviously mm. a different kettle of fish completely. That is regarded as, yes, yeah, a step up, but in terms of atmosphere at times, the, everything's so far away from the pitch. Mm. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. 
Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. I don't know if you've been there, but yeah. you're so far away from the pitch that it's really difficult. And it, it wasn't purpose-built for West Ham. No. Tottenham's example, I don't know if you've been to Tottenham, mm. they've done it brilliantly. They really yeah. have. And this is possible. I think I do believe that there is people who worked on the Tottenham Stadium involved in the planning of this as well. Same architects. So, same architects. So if you've proven that you can do it and get it right, I, I, I Tottenham fans might look at White, the old White Hart Lane and think it's a shame, but I don't think they will be, you'll find many of them that say they shouldn't have done it. And that's the thing. If you get it wrong, fine. Like, that might be a problem. If you get it right, you grow. And Tottenham have moved into a completely different stratosphere since moving. I know that they still haven't won trophies, but they have become... It, look at the players they're signing now. Like, mm. they're, they're considered a, a team... Like, Lucas Bergvall, like, United fan. He's 17, 18, but he's, he's seen what Tottenham have done. Mm-hmm. And he's thought, right, that's a club that are moving forward. They have ambition. And I know they don't spend as big as everybody else does, but they are slowly building a proper team. You add all the trophies and all the history and with United into the the new stadium mix, United go levels above that. They really do. And so I think, I, I think yeah. it's a risk. You, if you get it right, it's a risk you take for me. Yeah, and I, I honestly don't think that there is much risk in it, like real risk. The risk is, will the fans turn up and sing? Mm. Yes, they will. We'll be there. Don't worry. Like you could, Old Trafford could be a shed and we would still turn up. What I said previously is that I think Man United fans deserve the best. You know, if you're the biggest club in the world, and you should probably have one of the best stadiums in the world. Not a, not a stadium that doesn't even really meet the top 10 standards in the Premier League anymore. And that's the truth. So I, I really don't think there's a lot of risk for Man United. Obviously, the buzz line was the Wembley of the North, and that was kind of what was coming out. Now, I don't think Wembley Stadium, if we're talking it just in isolation, and I think sometimes we get too literal about this, it's not the Wembley of the North. It would kind of stand on its own. But the whole thing about levelling up in the Northwest and around Manchester and all that is a real thing. So you could absolutely put a huge capacity stadium in the Northwest, and, and it could become like even a second home for England. You could play major uh, tournaments uh, there. Obviously, you'd have Champions League finals there, no doubt about it. And you're elevating Man United back up to the table where they should be before they've even kicked a ball. So that's kind of where you need to be and position yourself. If you could do it with Old Trafford, you're only going to be able to get a ceiling there of 80, maybe 80,000 with the redevelopment, which is okay, but it's only a little bit more than what it is now. You talked there about the Sir Bobby Charlton stand. It's always been a logistical nightmare for Man United with that rail, with that train track, because that train track is a track that goes all the way to Liverpool. Yeah. And that track comes in and out. To reposition that track so you could then build a stand there will cost hundreds of millions. (laughs) Like just to move a track a few hundred yards, it's mad, hundreds of millions. So I think this is where United fans need to kind of grasp some of it around the, the sentimentality. And as I said, I do think it is older fans that even go to the ground regularly that just don't want to change that because, you know, they said the. And you, you know, understand that, of course. I get like, it. Yeah, totally. I understand it. Like I've been going since 87, you know, I've been this like man and boy and all of that. And the whole thing is, is that I understand that we built all those memories there. And I've walked on that pitch and I've stood on a bit where I've gone, oh God, George Best scored a goaler. And I, I, you know, I got told about that when I was growing up. Isn't that amazing? It is amazing. But you can't just stand still and basically do, like say what Liverpool did for 30 years. It's just like, you know, you just become almost irrelevant. You just want the, the bit part players. Man United, after the 60s, did it in the 70s, Scott, became bit part players until the 90s. You know, I don't want to see Man United go through that. And I think we're, we're there, aren't we? 10 years in already. And United are probably less relevant than they've ever been. Let's be honest about it in football terms. So I think a new stadium contributes towards you being where you want to be. If it, if it was like Barcelona and Real Madrid, where they didn't have the extra land because they don't, you'd have to redevelop from within. You'd have to do it. 800 million, that's all you, your only choice. And that's why those two clubs have done that or are going to do that as they carry on. But Man United don't have to do that. They bought all that land around it. And you could build something that is just off the chart. It could be the best stadium in the world. I just said about Tottenham, there's just cap it off, Scott. You said there about stadium design. When they designed the Emirates to when they designed the Tottenham Stadium, 
lots of lessons were learned around football. And Tottenham got it right with their one-tier stand behind the goal. Can you imagine a one-tier Stretford end that just sang its heart out every game with the perfect acoustics, with everything around it, with big screens so you could see what was going on, with VAR calls? This is all the modern game. I know people hate it, but it's real. Like, it's here now. We have to deal with it. United need a stadium that does that. And just rebuilding the Bobby Charlton stand doesn't cut it for me. Doesn't doesn't work for me. I think you need to move it to be able to maximise what you are as a football club. There's the whole issues of the the concourses, the seats being, you know, I know you said this didn't really matter, but for me, like when I when I go sit there, mm. I'm like I'm I'm not a massive guy, but I'm just I'm like this, like stand up fifty times as people go past you every it's, time. There's not I, I a lot of foot space in yeah. front of you, and like you think, yeah. like if you get in a new modern stadium, you need to consider all of that of as well. And what you're going to, like, if you're making more space by doing that, you're decreasing the capacity that you have. So, you know, there's plenty to consider. Obviously, there's something new. I don't think you know about this yet, Rob. We've opened a Manchester United WhatsApp channel through 90 minutes. Already jumped to nearly 30,000 followers already. Uh, (laughs) And this is where the podcast is getting distributed through this. There's a, a poll that we did in there when this has shot up over the past few days from literally 150 followers on like Monday to 30,000. Yeah. Wow. And 400 votes, that this was out of about 4,000 votes, 400 votes were build a new stadium on you know the land that United own. The rest mm. of the votes, 3.2K, redevelop and improve the current site history is too important. So obviously there is... <laughs> there's a sense of feeling that United need to stay on that turf and build around it. Definitely. But yeah, nobody's wrong. Nobody's wrong. I think that that's, that's the important thing to say. Nobody's wrong here, but it's for me, show that you're a club with ambition that you need to move forward. And mm. you, when you go to grounds in the U S we went to watch United Dortmund in Vegas, Rob, yeah, I got, yeah. I, I was lucky enough to be able to stand in the middle of that pitch, like at the start of the season and take a look around levels levels i know do you remember yeah. when we was walking up to it do you remember yeah. we walked up to it and we were like from afar and we were like wow look at that that's beautiful like look at that that's mad like what look what they've done here the infrastructure around the stadium um i was in the press box for the game scott you were pitch side doing some social stuff and all of that around there and the experience of being in that stadium just every time i go in these stadiums i go Man United need a bit of this. Now, I know, again, a lot of fans will be like, oh, you know, it's our traditional values that make us the club we are. Well, I get that. There, there is that. And I think English clubs do have that over a lot of other clubs. They really do. But you've got to move with the times, especially when your competition is moving with it. You know what I mean? Let me talk about Arsenal and Tottenham. The truth is they are part of our competition, aren't they? Liverpool can't move because they don't have any land, so they've rebuilt their stadium, and it's now like, what is it, 60,000 around that? So, But Liverpool are capped because in 10 or 15 years' time, when everyone's got 80,000-seat stadiums, Liverpool won't be able to do anything. you have to move, won't they, eventually? So I'm definitely not advocating that United move away from Old Trafford. I think they have to stay in Stratford. They stay in a bit of land that they already own. Um, if someone was saying to me, Scott, yeah, move the team to Warrington on the outskirts to have a, you know, uh, an all-seater stadium there, which was 100,000, I'd be like, no, I don't want to go to Warrington every week. Thank you very much. Sorry, people who are from Warrington and watching the show. But I don't want to do that. I don't think that's where the team is based. So I think you've got a unique situation this Scott, is that you own the land, use it. Because if you don't use it, then what have you got it for? You know, and, and I don't think the pitch being moved 100 yards decimates the history of Manchester United. Not you can all. also, there's also the, the, the counter-argument of you can put other pitches there. For the youth team, yeah, etc. You know, bring the the women's the women's pitch like it's so far it's so far away at the moment. Yeah. Put it all on one one spot. I think bring the thing is- build shopping center or like you know make it a destination for people to go and spend the entire day, rather than you know just a yeah. I don't say just a stadium because it's not just a stadium, but you, you know what I'm getting at. Totally. You've got, you've got so much expansion that you can do and make it like Old Trafford is already in the Northwest and North of England, the most visited tourist destination in the country. So we, we, that's one side of it already. You've already got the customers coming. So I'm not talking about us as customers, but fans are customers as well to an extent. But I, I just think the, 
the whole idea here of 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 keeping it as it is. No one is saying bulldoze Old Trafford, and that's it. No one is saying that. That's not what that's not what Ineos are trying to do or trying to investigate. You're you're just trying to tweak what you already own, and and I just think you know I've said it before that I think we're not bricks and mortar as a football club. The heart of Manchester United is us, the fans that sing, you know, the badge, the shirt, and our history. But the history isn't the iron girders in the Stratford end. It isn't. That's not that's not what pays the bills. And I think that if you could have a stadium just on that site that you already own and you can make it the best in the world, then why are people against that? And, and, and I do think it's become a populist tone, Scott, in the last few days, that this whole, oh, it's our history and it, we, we couldn't possibly move house next door because then it desecrates something. Manchester United might be the mecca for Man United fans, but it's it's Stratford. Stratford is is what is what represents Manchester United, and I, and I'm very very high on that. You know, I think that we have to stick with that line. Um, and I did say it on Twitter, but it wasn't a, a kind of po- a poke at anyone who watches this show who doesn't get to go. We're very very lucky that there's seventy thousand of us that get to go to Man United games. The season ticket holders about fifty thousand of us, and get to be able to travel to watch this football team. It, it's not on you guys on that but i think the ones who go every week are the ones that should, should be listened to and i do think overall it's about 50 50 is that you talk to people and half of them are like my god like again standing up for everyone that walks past you because the aisles are so narrow it's all just a big concrete jungle scott the food is is disgusting being completely honest about it there you can't you know the cups of coffee there are horrible i'm not saying this because of coffee i'm saying it because the facilities overall you know you have to queue up to just go to the toilet it's just mad there's like three three toilets in the cubicles it's seventy-five thousand people there it's mad so you have to fix that and i don't think you can just fix the concourses with the architecture plans that i've seen mm-hmm. you, you can't you'd have to it would take so long to rebuild those areas to make them fit for purpose. And can you say it's got eight years down the line that we're going, oh, yeah, Old Trafford's still a building site. Like, how representative of Manchester United would that be, you know, of just being a mess? No, I don't want that. Build a stadium, two years, next door, let's all move there, everyone's happy. And I think people would forget quite quickly. You know, I think down the line, you people would just go, oh, United are trying to better themselves, and that's more important than than just imagining what happened in the 50s and 60s and 70s. You could tie in, like, think of how important the youth is. If you tie in that, like you say, George Best scored on this part of, from this part of the turf. If you no one's you, saying you yeah. bring that into the youth team scoring on that part of the pitch, that ties in, that ties it all together quite nicely for me. But Can anyway. you turn it into the best museum in the world? Like you keep that Old Trafford, you bring the stands down, you, you turn it into a 25,000 seat stadium, which you then use for all of your other teams. And that is your museum and your 3 billion trophies that you've got. And we've all seen when we've been to Old Trafford are all there on display and you can go for the day. And you'll also be able to get yourself a nice cup of coffee and some food and some dinner without being charged to the earth by, you know, all those horrible vans around the corner. Again, sorry to the sellers around there. <laughs> wow, Ogres no. are not great. It, it's all right. They're all scousers in there as well. It's fine. It's, it's all scousers with those vans. But the whole point of it is, is that you can't get a decent uh, meal at Old Trafford. Now, this is the modern day is that you do need to have more. This is just the way it is. The most important thing is the football ground for the fans and the pitch. And United need to do that now. I think this is it. And and you could redevelop Old Trafford properly, Scott, for two for under two billion, but do it quickly then I could see the value in it, but it's going to be the best part of a billion and it's going to take years. And I think if they did that route, Scott, it would cripple the team. They would cripple the team because then more problems happen, isn't it? You know, as you rebuild a bit, you go, oh, do you know what? We rebuilt that, but now it needs new foundations because we've just discovered some more problems. And this old hundred-year-old building around this side, oh, look, you know, the, the, the it's the wrong kind of soil this side. We now need to rip all of that out. And that's what happens with these builds is that they add, add up more money onto the build. If it's a new build, new architecture, go for it. And it can be like an Old Trafford, can't it, in architectural terms. It can look like Old Trafford if you're smart. And I think that's what they will do. I think they will actually go, we want it to look and feel like Old Trafford because it is Old Trafford. You know, Old Trafford 2.0, not New Trafford, nothing new about it. It's the old Old Trafford, but upgraded. Just a final line, I think, 
Andy Burnham's gone on radio last week or so, and he said essentially we'll, we will work with United and do yeah. whatever the club decide. We will support it. So, I, I think I need to explain a little bit more about the levelling up thing just quickly on the end of that because I've seen again a lot of this of, oh, the government are not going to pay Man United to do this. Well, it's not what it's about. There's a levelling up fund for the North West. And if Manchester United are the number one destination for the Northwest, which which we are and we have been for a very long time, that they will put money into the local infrastructure to fix those things. Now, when Man City did it, they had a benefactor who's a rich billionaire nation state owner from abroad, put loads of money into stuff. And they went, oh, isn't it great that they've built an Asda next door? Great. Well done. That's that's all because of this money here from uh, from the Middle East. And there was a lot of love around that. And that's why we called it sports washing. Well, I think maybe our government should dip their hands into the pockets for Manchester and Stratford and rebuild tram stations and put new roads in and do all of that because I think the area deserves it. So Man United will be the reason why they do it because we're the destination. But that money is already there. There's a ring fence money. And as you say, Andy Burnham's already gone on record and said it, it will happen. And that's what needs to happen. Then Man United can build whatever ground they want for two billion quid. Will it be called the Inia Stadium? I don't know. Can't answer that question today. But it still Snap will be Dragon old. House. <laughs> the Snapdragon House. Can you imagine that? That's coming, isn't it? I can I can see it already. Do you know what I mean? And we'll have decent Wi-Fi in it. Though I do realize, Scott, the Wi-Fi at Old Trafford this season has been phenomenal. I tested it the other day and it was 80 gigabytes a second. I was like, my God. We used to get one gigabyte. So, uh, again, I joke because people go, oh, Rob, you talk about the Wi-Fi. Sometimes it does matter for our work. But, but well, overall, the, that's The not- thing is, like, Rob, Rob's continually making a big deal about how good the Wi-Fi is because that is the that is the very best you can expect from where we are currently. Yeah. You know, that's that's all you really have to shout about, but that's a given. Get that Wi-Fi in a Tesco 100 yards down the road. It's wrong, isn't it? So it's kind of like, like it's, it is a joke because it's a running joke at people who, at Old Trafford, people who go to Old Trafford. But of course, it's not the most important thing. What we're trying to say here is that this is the modern times, isn't it? So you want modern facilities for a modern football club or do you want the football club, Scott, that was run by Fergie all those years ago? And as, uh, I think Gary Pallister said it just a couple of days ago. He said, lads don't train at the cliff anymore. Like, like the cliff is where the, but the babes were invented. We mm. don't train at the cliff anymore. We, we train at Carrington, and that was an upgrade in the 90s. And we're now talking about maybe upgrading Carrington again, either on site or somewhere else. Well, what's the difference? There isn't a lot of difference. Is that the cliff is still part of Manchester United's history in the same way that that site hopefully will still be there, and this is what we're advocating. And that you use it for the women's team and for the youth teams, and as I said, becomes part of the Man United complex with two mm. stadiums on board, with all the food that you can eat, and you can go for the day even when Man United are not playing. And, and that happens at Old Trafford. People go to the club shop, don't they, all the time. Uh, little story off the back of that. I went to um, San Siro many, many years ago on a day where there was no game. And I thought, oh, I'll go there and there'll be stuff happening because it's a San Siro, isn't it? Well, no. I went to the San Siro. They had a little hut where they sold the AC Milan and, and Inter Milan shirt. And it was just concrete nothingness. And no one was there. I was the only person there on a, on a non-game. And I'm like, does it happen at United that? Like, always people at Old Trafford. United need to harness that. Because people come, don't they? You build it, people will come. You could build the most spectacular football ground in the world, be number one off the pitch there. And then you could be number one again on it. Maybe one day it could host WrestleMania. Anyway, uh, <laughs> Scott uh, wants to do a wrestling podcast now. I can tell. <laughs> nah, well, I don't know. We'll see. But hey, that's, that's good though. Doing it for. Just, that's yeah. what you, you're, you're you're doing stuff. You want you know if, if you know if you two tour or the Rolling Stones, you know, or the you, you get some Taylor Swift. You know, Stone Roses get back together again. Where should they be playing their gig? They should be playing it at Old Trafford. Now, currently, you can't do that because it's a bit of a mess. But in the future, you'd be able to do that. And all of that money will be going into the coffers of the football club and then hopefully towards buying players. Because this is the whole idea about moving the Glazers away from the project is that, yes, they'll take their dividends. But this is very much an Ineos-driven project and, and a Sir Jim Ratcliffe project. And I think this is why we're moving towards the direction that we are. Right, let us know. And also on that WhatsApp channel, if you would like to join it, this is where we our Promised Land podcast clips might even get distributed within this channel, as well as everything that 90 Min's doing, including polls and 
articles and votes and mm. lots of different things. I'll leave a, a link in the description of this episode if you'd like to join it on WhatsApp. Apparently, that's the new thing. What what WhatsApp communities are the new thing? It is. So um, I will. I'll leave a comment. Uh, no, I'll leave a note in the description of how to join that if you would like to. Anyway, uh, that is big picture, long term, Man United. Current, last section of the show. Current Man United or past Man United, favourite stomping ground, or one of them, has been Villa Park. They go there on Sunday without Lisandro Martinez. Now, now, we'll do this all together, Rob. Maybe look at look ahead to the game and look at what United do without Martinez, because he's mm. out for, I think it's a minimum of eight weeks, right? Is it ish? But it's a significant yeah. chunk of time. At least it's not the rest of the season as it stands. I think Ten Hag has essentially said he will play again this season, but... We've spent a lot of time on this podcast talking about how important he is. I personally think he's United's most important de- defender. And you have him for a couple of games, you look good, and then he's gone again. What do you think United will do? How, how do you react to the Martinez layoff? And what do you think they'll do to replace him? Well, to be honest, Scott, I'm relieved. Like, I think eight weeks for what this could have been, this could have been eight months very easily. Very easily could have been a, a very serious injury. As I said after the game, I was I was kind of shocked when I heard the news that it was it was more serious than we thought because he did walk off down the tunnel in front of us and I kind of was clocking him and watching quite a bit and watching him flexing the knee. And I was thinking, it doesn't feel like a an ACL. Like I've seen I've seen lots of ACLs in the flesh. I've seen them happen in real time. I was a bit like, I'm not quite sure. So to when the news came back from the scandal, it was eight weeks. I think United dodged a bullet because like we talked about Cobby there a lot, didn't we, in the midfield? In many ways, Lissandro is as important to the defence as, as Cobby is to the midfield already. And, and I think you've seen how much better Man United are. So, you know, how, the idea for eight weeks now is how do you cope? Because that's really what it comes down to now is who starts games and how do you make that work? I think this is just the route back into the team for Maguire. Your obvious route for me is that Harry's form before he got injured, I think, was probably the best that he'd been for several years, like certainly into the early parts of his Man United career, maybe. Um, and and I think that when you use what you've got now, you've got Lindelof coming back as well. The big question mark for me will be Varane. So I, it might feel natural that it's Varane and uh, Maguire. I wouldn't be surprised if it ends up being Maguire and Lindelof, which is not what I want to see. But I think that might be the way that they go in terms of the balance of those back two. So um, a bit of a dress rehearsal at Villa Park. You know, what can Man United do without Lissandra Martinez now? The ball progression will be different. How do you set up? Do you go finally back to 4-2-3-1 and go a little bit more defensive there to look after the centre-backs? Or do you just carry on? I think I think it'll be 4-1-4-1 just as it is because that's what the manager likes to do. Uh, but it's a blow, but it's a short-term one. So eight weeks might even be six weeks, like six to eight weeks is really the calculation list, but I don't think they're rushing back. I think the fact that he's had repeated injuries means that you just got to take this one as slow as possible. A bit like Luke Shaw, Scott, recently, is that Luke Shaw was ready to play quite early, but they just slowed it down because they were like, he's had one or two of these injuries now, we need to be careful. You don't want to see Martinez blow his knee out when he comes back and then be out for a year that would be the complete worst possible scenario. Do you think that the, the lineup that we've seen sub Martinez now is the strongest 11 that Ten Hag's got? Completely, completely. This is what he wants to do. And he, this is what he believes with his players is that the team, I think we've seen it repeated now in recent weeks and we take Martinez out of it. That's what he believes is his strongest team. And the, the players on the subs bench, you know, there's one or two that are favoured. So, for instance, Scott McTominay will always get his minutes. I think Anthony will always be first choice to come back into the team because he's one of Ten Hag's boys. And then when you look at the centre-backs, when you talked about Maguire recently, Eric Ten Hag, he, he was like, I've got no worries about him now. I saw what I saw before and I'm happy. And I think he can reproduce. I'm seeing it in training already. So this is undoubtedly what Ten Hag believes is his strongest team. And let's be honest, Scott, I don't think any of us have got any other better ideas. Like, there's, not, there's, there's nothing else there that I think you can think, right, tweak that, move that, do something else. I don't think any of us want to see, you know, Martial's out the picture. You know, I think you have to use Rashford. Rashford's form's better. I think we're all happier with Hoyland. He's getting numbers now and goals. So the balance, I think, is just there naturally. It's just this, this centre-back question now. It's about how you move forward with it. And I think that will be a little bit of wait and see because... 
you might look at it and go, well, Maguire and Varane isn't tenable, so I can just have one of them. But that's something you're going to decide, I think, in the next, you know, two, three, four weeks. It's definitely a wait and see. Uh, the game itself, United are eight points behind Villa, six points behind Tottenham in fifth. We do... Now, th- this could end up not being the case, but I think there's... If we had, if I had to say now, I think fifth place will get Champions League. I mm. think... Yes, um, that. That's where the way it's looking like that. Obviously, Man City are in the Champions League. Liverpool are in the Europa League. Aston Villa as well. You know, th- there's a lot of teams that could potentially go far in those competitions. And the further that they get, I'm not saying I want them to win it, but like you get to a point where those teams doing well in those competitions will actually help confirm the fifth place spot, which yeah. is uh, is a weird dynamic. But that might end up being how it is. United have. United are on their longest unbeaten run of the season, which is mad. I think it's like five games, <laughs> three games yeah. in the league. Uh, and then there's cup games as well involved in that. But, you know, I think we just a few weeks ago, Rob, we were talking about how United were way off Champions League and they needed to turn things around if they were ever to get a chance of finishing in the top five or Champions mm. League places and qualifying for it. Now... This game here, if there's any team I think they're catching out of the five that are in there, I think it's Villa. And if they go to Villa Park and win, just as... We saw it in the second half at Old Trafford. We saw Chelsea do it. We've seen Newcastle do it. You'd think, really, the way that United play and the way that Villa opt to play might work in United's favour. I don't want to say that I think United will do well or win because there's every chance that they could just lose and just this conversation could be completely over and it could be 11 points. There could be 11 points behind Villa if they lose. Mm. But you win that game, you're right back in. You are. And and I'm going to carry on preaching what I said before. And that is that like, we need to not look at the table. So let, let, let Man United work themselves out. And if we play the best game of football we can play at Villa Park, there's every chance we can get three points as it stands. As you said, I think Villa are, are a decent target in the table. And our Ten Hag will be looking at it like that. But then we we we've not seen enough good stuff from Man United in the last few weeks yet to say that we feel great about any of it. That that it's absolutely what you're going to get. Like you said about Martinez, Scott taking Martinez out of the picture could make United completely collapse. We just don't know, do we? So I'm not too high on the table. I will just say this about the fifth place thing: is that we did a, we did significant stuff behind the scenes about the European Super League, yeah, and that we didn't want it. And that we didn't want anything that that took football away in that direction, where all these big billionaire owners owned everything. And yet, on the flip side, UEFA have just done exactly that. UEFA have just done what they wanted, and uh, they've changed the Champions League. That I don't think the fifth place team in in the Premier League should get in the Champions League. Well, they did it because the Super League was a was a very real prospect at the time that they changed these rules. This was the compens the compens compensatory move. Th- those rule, those those rule changes and plans have been three or four years in the making. So this is long before the Super Leagues did the announcement. So all they've done really is pulled the trigger on those things. But this was kind of put in front of their committees a long time ago that the Champions League should be a kind of faux Super League of all their top teams and how were they going to facilitate that through the Champions League where it was acceptable. So I know people get used to it and fifth place and sixth place, like you just said there, someone wins the, the Europa League. So then suddenly they're in it. And in, this is how you amass all these teams. It, unfortunately, in political terms, we haven't really got a, a different status quo. It's the same status quo, unfortunately. It's just who gets the money or where the money flows. So I'm not really into that. I'd, I'm not too worried about United's position next year. I know the Jim Ratcliffe will be. And if United are in a, a Europa League next year, Scott, I won't be too low on that. I think this build has to no, go it's, beyond... It's... You know, beyond all of that, you have, to, you have to get somewhere now into the next transfer window. And what I just want to see now, week to week to week, better, solid, stronger performances. As Get the tactics right, move it on. And if you lose games, you lose games, but at least try and be good. And I don't think Man United in the last few weeks and months have been particularly good. So I think that has to be the kind of remit now for Ten Hag. And fingers crossed, you know, we have seen better stuff in the last few weeks. And I think it's just looked a more settled camp, hasn't it? Is that, you know, Rashi even the last couple of games looks like someone who's a bit serious again on the left-hand side. Gives you an option. Um, I don't know what happens with Anthony on the right, but I think it's gone actual all the way now, isn't it? And Copy, You know, we wanted Copy at the start of the season. We've now got Cobby here. You're going to have to look forward to that. Who partners Cobby Manu 
in that uh, Man United midfield in the weeks, months, and years ahead with the other transfer windows. Did you see, actually, Bruno called him Kobe the other day? We got a load of stick for calling him Kobe. And Bruno was on telly the other day calling him Kobe. I was like, I got, you got told off that. It is Kobe, though. It's Kobe like Robbie. So <laughs> Bruno is wrong as well. But, um, but yeah, you build that midfield around him and hopefully the defence can just hold out now for the next few weeks. United back in Premier League action. You know... Hey, they just need to start, like you, like you say, put, focusing on themselves, putting a run of form together, and mm. then we'll see where everything ends up. But in terms of, I think this next few months in the grand scheme of things, I want to say is in ev- ev- what happens on the pitch is the most important thing. But in, in the context of the, the wider scheme of things with the Old Trafford discussion that yeah. we've had with the the ownership takeover United are on a long-term journey that goes far beyond this next five months. And I think, obviously, they could use that money that they get for the Champions League that would help them along. But also, I think you can't really get away from the fact that United need to draw a line in the sand and take a different direction. I think that's the way that we're going, regardless of whether they get the Champions League. Next season, any final thoughts? I just think on the on the, the cap that, yeah, I think for me, the most important thing here is your sporting director appointment. So Manchester United have gone deliberately quiet on that. Now they've got their CEO and they know what they want to do. I think the more quieter it is, Scott, the more the plan is working. They know who they want and who they've got because they're just trying to keep them about it. Like I think it's quite interesting all the news about Old Trafford in the last week, which has kind of not been leaked, but I think it's just been put out in the press and been more openly discussed, is that they've tried to quell maybe some of the board appointment side of it. That's the next step for me. Is like like winning games and playing well is is what the remit should be for Eric Ted Hag. But I think for the football club, they need to now get sporting director in place, be able to announce that, and maybe a, maybe a head of recruitment as well. I think when you've got those pieces in, Scott, it means you go at the end of this season in a much more healthy position than you started it. That's the end of the show. We've been going way too long. Sorry. Thanks if you uh, you've stuck with us this whole time. United go to Villa. We'll be back on Monday, I believe, the day after Villa versus United happens and we'll be back whatever the results hopefully and we're talking about a win but we will see can never expect anything to be delivered at this moment (laughs) but (laughs) hey but there we go subscribe wherever you get your podcast and watch us on YouTube the promise and Man United podcast like the video subscribe leave a comment notification bell hit that as well join the whatsapp channel I talked about the link should be in the description follow us on social media at double underscore Scott Saunders on X IG and TikTok at underscore Rob underscore B on X and YouTube and at TPLMUFC on X. And as I say, we'll be back on Monday to talk about whatever happens at Villa Park. Get the comments in. What do you think about Old Trafford? Do you want Frankie? Let us know. See you soon, everyone. Until next time, this has been The Promised Land. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.